0: so grateful and so amazed and so grateful for the amount of gifted people that God has given us as a church of all ages. So thank you for using your gifts. Um, Just so you know, um, I think this is true often when we use our gifts, there can be an awkwardness we feel. We kind of feel like, you know, we don't want to put ourselves forward or what what will people think of me? And, uh, And I think the reality is we just have to get over ourselves at times and use our gifts. And I'm so glad for you guys to come up on. Be up on stage and use your gifts to bless us and encourage us and remind us of the wonder of Christmas. So thank you. We as a church are going through an Advent series right now. Uh, we have paused from our normal series in First Thessalonians, and we're taking time to consider the theme of peace. So we're looking at really what the whole Bible says about peace, the storyline of peace in the Bible. It's a, it's a major part of the Bible. Uh, in, in many ways, the trajectory of the, of the Bible is from peace loss to peace regained and restored. That's where we're headed. That's part of the purpose of the storyline. So I trust as we're going through, you're learning that. Uh, By the way, your guests, welcome. We're glad you're here. We pray God's blessing on you. And let us know how we can help you wherever you are uh, in your spiritual walk. Um, If you have questions uh, about Christianity, we think this is a great place to be with family where you're going to be loved and accepted. And we're going to point you to Jesus and His truth and His goodness as well. Uh, or if you're a believer and already and you're wondering, looking for a church, we'd just like to help you however we, uh, we can as we go. Uh, did I say my name? Paul Buckley? I don't know if I said that, so. Um, I need my memory medicine this morning, I was realizing as I get older. But anyhow, I do remember what we're doing. We're going through God's Word this morning, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapters 1 through 6, and we're going to look at this aspect of practicing the peace of God. Uh, so our first message was on how we lost our peace, we went through the... the book of Genesis in particular 1 through 3 and then we looked at how God pursued mankind and has been pursuing and he called the people to himself and he called them in grace to be in relationship and to restore in a in part the Garden of Eden so it was a picture of peace there in the book of Exodus then we went to Isaiah and we learned that 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 relationship had been lost the people who had strayed from God and yet Isaiah God promised through Isaiah that he would bring peace so we looked at the promises of peace well, this week we're going to look at the practice of peace in the book of Ephesians as it teaches us about practicing peace. Uh, I think uh, Ephesians and the Word of God helps us with this question. Maybe this question has come up as you've gone through this series with us. You've looked in the, ba- the past and realized, well, we lost this peace and, and you're longing, as all really all humanity is, for the restoration of this peace. And we've learned through Isaiah that it's promised that Christ will return. What Christ did on the cross, his death and resurrection, pain for sin, his reign, and then his return, he'll restore the fullness of peace. But sometimes the question can can be like, well, what about now? What does it mean now? Is now just merely about waiting for that full restoration? Is it merely looking back at the cross and then waiting for the fullness of of heaven? What do we do now? Uh, And the Bible uh, helps us with this, but this is a a common concern, actually, in humanity, a lot of what goes on in culture is the pursuit of peace, the pursuit of somehow bringing this longing to realization now, and and so people spend a lot of effort and they spend their very lives, actually, trying to create peace. Um, and when that kind of gets in an organized form, where they're where they're really hoping to have something that's like heaven, it's called a utopia. I don't know if you've heard that word; just means well the best I think way to translate it is good place simply from Greek uh, but they want to create a utopia, a place where peace exists where you can actually go and live and not have strife to have right relationship with people and be in harmony with creation and so forth and there's been all sorts of utopias actually in history Uh, one that's very near to us geographically is is the Shaker Village in uh, Canterbury, New Hampshire. Anyone been there? Been to the Shaker Village? Uh, I recommend visiting that place. Uh, they, the Shakers were a group that kinda came out of the Quakers. They were called Shakers uh, because they, when they w- were believing that they were hearing from God they would shake. Uh, they would dance together. They would shake. So that's how they got their names. They probably didn't call themselves that. but um, They were a group that came out of the, the Quakers and they uh, formed these communities. They came together and formed these communities so they would leave their their lives and they would their lifestyles and come together and live in community They actually would abandon uh, marriage. They would live in uh, totally celibate, completely celibate, segregated as well, men from women for the most part. Uh, And They would come and they would live in in these villages and they would seek to practice peace. They would work hard together. They would care for each other. They actually were very charitable, very kind, um, and and interesting. Um, And so uh, from the shakers actually have come a lot of inventions, right? So shaker chairs, if you guys know shaker chairs, they're, they're ingenious, they're lightweight, they're strong. Um, do we have, why don't you flip the pictures up there Dan? Um, so shaker chairs, shaker uh, furniture like the, their bureaus. Uh, they invented the modern clothespin just so you know. Uh, condensed milk, wa- automatic washing machines, uh, circular saws for mills and so forth. So all these things they created as they worked together in, in their villages. And they were see- where they were they seeking to pursue and practice peace. What they believed actually uh, was that God was calling his people to live in, in this community that was a picture of heaven, to be ready for when Jesus comes back. So they were seeking to kind of bridge that gap. Um, and they got a lot of things right. They got some things terribly wrong, though. Uh, first and foremost, they had a terribly aberrant view of Jesus. They believed that their founder was the second coming of Jesus, and an, uh, Annie Lee. Uh, and so that, whenever that happens, whenever someone's saying, I'm Jesus, come back, don't believe him, um, he'll come through the skies, we'll know it's Jesus. You won't have to figure it out. Everyone will know. Uh, so they, that was uh, aberrant. But the other thing that was aberrant about them is they thought that the answer was, in order to practice peace, that you form these communes. You come away from the world and you live together in this special commune. Uh, and you give up marriage and so forth and that's how you'll find peace Uh, they were wrong god actually has given us instructions in his word how do we how to practice peace in this meantime it's called the local church that's what we're to do we're not to form shaker villages or whatever else we're to be part of local churches and in those local churches God uh, brings to us his peace through the gospel he changes and transforms our life He calls us to practice peace with one another, and he calls from that place of the local church to spread the peace. We are to live amidst communities, not segregated from communities. We're to be salt and light, and we're to practice peace and create a a sort of utopia in the local church. So that's what I want to talk about today. And Ephesians is probably the best book uh, in the Bible that kind of captures a lot of this stuff together. So we're going to go through uh, this book of Ephesians. We're going to look at what it teaches about peace. Uh, I think you have notes there. We're going to learn how we practice peace in our worship. We learn how we practice peace in walking together and how we practice peace in witnessing to the world and with love and truth. Um, so let me pray, and then we'll look at our first scripture. We'll be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and we'll go from there. Lord, we thank you. We don't have to go and create a community somewhere in New Hampshire or elsewhere to realize peace and to enjoy it personally and as your people. We don't merely have to wait for the kingdom to come, though that's going to be so sweet. Even now, Lord, you are working in us peace, and you're calling us to practice peace, and I thank you that's in your word. I pray you'd help me to explain and teach your word, and I pray, Lord, we'd hear from you through your word, and be convinced by you that indeed this is what we're called to, and that we would be transformed by that truth. We would realign our lives with your plan and your practices. Uh, so do this, Lord, and more, and glorify your worthy name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, this is uh, a wonderful letter where Paul starts out with this section, uh, just celebrating all the goodness of God, and so he says, as he talks to the Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, blessed be In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Paul goes on in this section of scripture, actually till verse 14. It's all one sentence in the original. Uh, It's one sentence of just Paul praising God and celebrating what God has done. Uh, and, And this is for good reason. I think part of it is just because Paul is excited about these things and they're they're important. But Paul wants the Ephesians to understand that before there's anything else, before there's any call to what you do and how you live and how you relate and so forth, there's the call to focus on God and his goodness and what he's done. There's the call to focus on how God himself has brought peace to us through Christ. How God has sent his own son to shed his blood, to die on the cross for our sins so there could be forgiveness for our sin, And there could be redemption. We could be purchased from our rebellion against God, our separation from him, to a right relationship with him, to know forgiveness before him, to know peace with him. And so the letter to the Ephesians highlights this. It highlights this reality. It celebrates this reality. And, and of course, behind this celebration is is a situation where God came in to rescue us. And so Paul, later on, is going to talk about this reality behind the celebration. Before there was the good news of God's rescue and God bringing peace to us, there was the bad news of our enmity with God. The bad news of our sin, the, the sad news that we don't like to face, of our innate rebellion against God. Each of us are born in a way where there's just in us this innate Rebellion. We don't want to do what's right. We want to do our own thing. There's innate, an innate, just born in us, rebellion against God. And it doesn't make sense, actually, because God is perfectly good, perfectly loving. Um, he's glorious. Every good thing comes from him. Uh, as we look around at creation, we just see all these wonderful things that he's made, and, and yet we still rebel against him. That's the situation. So Paul in chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the background. That's the, the bad news before the good news. Because this rebellion is not without consequence. God has made all things. They're all all made by him and ultimately to be enjoyed with him and for his glory. Um, There's a wonderful truth in scripture that we are made to enjoy God and glorify him forever. And those two go together. Um, I would often say that to my kids as they went out for the evening. Have a great time and glorify God. They go together. And that's that's God's plan, that we would enjoy him and glorify him, and, and, and those things would go together. That's what we're called to, but that's what we've rebelled against. And God, in his goodness, must be just. He must respond to this rebellion because it's blatant. And, and, and sometimes we don't get that. Sometimes it's easier, actually, for people who are really messed up to understand that it's blatant, that it's there. Um, and it's sometimes really hard for people that are relatively good to understand that, to understand that, that they've messed up too, because it's not as dramatic. It's not out there. Um, But it's really no different. Um, You might be better than me in terms of your your life and the choices I've made in my life. You might be kinder. You might have done, uh, haven't done some of the terrible things I have done in my life in the past. um, But still, compared to what you're called to, you fall short. And often, actually, the greatest sin uh, of those who are relatively good is that they're self-righteous. They think that they're okay. They think they're all set. And they've not adequately compared themselves to what God calls them to do, which is to love God with all their hearts, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength, all the time. That's how good he is, and that's what is right and proper. And to love our neighbors as ourselves, so to love ourselves with the same weight, love uh, love others actually with the same weight that we would love ourselves. And we've all fallen short of that. And we're in rebellion. We're cut off from God. God's good. And any time there's offense in a relationship, it breaks the relationship, doesn't it? We can't simply pretend that people, when they've offended us, like, I'm just going to pretend they didn't do that. We have to address it one way or the other. We either forgive them uh, or there's restitution or something. There's resolution. And it's the same with God. And so that verse teaches us that that we all are in rebellion against God and we are children of wrath. In other words, the justice of God is rightly towards us, his just wrath. This isn't an arbitrary, kind of capricious wrath. This is a holy determination to do what's right in regards to our offenses. That's the bad news, but then it continues, of course, because God is a God of mercy. But it says in verse 4 of chapter 2, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved The amazing good news is that God has pursued us. In our rebellion, we have gone our own way, gone astray. We've walked away from God. We want life on our own terms, and yet God's pursued us. He's sent his son for us, and and for those of us who believe, he in time came and opened up our eyes to see and receive and live in forgiveness. He pursued us to bring us peace, and it comes from who he is. And so what's the point in all this? Chapter 1 and chapter 2, these things that are being said, is that our focus would be on Him. That our eyes would be on Him. That the the first way that we live as Christians, the first way that we would live as humans created in His image, is with our eyes on Him. Trusting Him. Rejoicing in Him and what He's done. Resting in Him. Remembering Him in all of His goodness and glory. The reality is, like the bumper sticker says... No Jesus, no peace, right? N-O-Jesus, peace. No Jesus, K-N-O-W. No peace, K-N-O-W. So no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. God has brought us peace through Jesus, through the sacrifice of his son on the cross, in our place. And through simple faith, simply believing him, trusting him, simply turning away from our own self-confidence to somehow earn a way to heaven, our own self-confidence to somehow be right, our own even self-confidence to somehow make restitution ourselves, abandoning that because it will never work, turning away from confidence in yourself, or maybe it's just love of that lifestyle of running the opposite direction, letting go of that, turning and receiving this gift of mercy and grace, of God himself in the flesh, dying on the cross for your sins, to shed his blood, to pay for every single one of them, every single one of them to be atoned for, for full restitution to be made through Christ in his death and resurrection, so that as you come to him and simply trust in him, you are forgiven and fully accepted, and you are now at peace with God. To put our eyes on him and to remember these things, that's how we practice peace. That's how we start, and that's how we keep going. And that's why Paul spends so much time, really three chapters in Ephesians, just talking about what God has done. So we would get this so that we would we'd orient ourselves around him and what he's done and to realize that we're safe and we have peace with God through Christ. And now our own lives are affected in how we live. He's going to go on we're going to go on in Ephesians and see how this truth of peace with God now influences us to have peace with others and peace with how we live. We are safe. No matter what this world might throw at us, the, the biggest issue has been dealt with. No matter what tumult or chaos we might feel, the, the most significant tumult and chaos, are our lostness in our sin and our darkness separated from the light himself has been addressed and taken care of through simple faith. And, and by the way, if, you, if you've yet to put your faith in Jesus, it's that simple. You just need to simply trust him and receive him. Turn and trust and receive what he's done, and just rest in that. There's no formula to follow, to somehow make it yours. It's simply receive it. To so all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. It's that simple. Yes, there's a lifestyle that falls from that, but it comes from that life of faith, that new life that you have in Jesus at that moment of faith. And if you are there, you are safe with him. You are secure in Him, no matter what may happen. So there may be other things that go on in life that are hard, right? Life can be hard. Life wasn't easy for Jesus. And yet He had peace with His Father, and He established peace for us. And that most significant issue is taken care of. So the others kind of take their place. We get perspective when we recognize and remember what God has done for us in Jesus. Jesus said this himself in John 16, He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. He wants us to have peace in him. He wants us to experience that peace. He wants us to have it affect how we think and how we feel. To really have peace. To know we're at peace with God through Christ. And to rest in that. And then he goes on to say, in the world you will have the opposite of peace. You will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, Jesus is saying, I got this, trust me, I'm with you, know my peace. I was this week looking at um, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, so hang in there, this relates. NATO. You guys know what NATO is? It's an organization of, of countries like in Europe and the United States and Canada. Uh, as well. There are 29 countries in in NATO. The original countries were 12. And it's this alliance, it's really the most powerful political alliance in the world uh, because in the alliance they promise to protect each other. And so it's pretty much the most powerful countries all aligned together. So if you're in NATO, as far as world geopolitics, you're pretty safe and secure. But there's one country in NATO, among all the others, it's actually one of the founding countries that doesn't contribute any military at all to the alliance. Now, we do as a country, of course, and others as well. But there's one country, they don't, they don't have any military, yet they're in the alliance, they're protected uh, by the full alliance. They don't have to worry about you know, invasion. They're safe, they're secure, and yet they don't contribute anything. They don't have any military that they add. Maybe they contribute other things, but not military. Anyone know what that country is? Take a guess, you can shout it out. Switzerland. No? Iceland. It's Iceland. Um, And and, uh, so if you're in Iceland, it's a pretty good deal, isn't it? You're safe. You're protected by the great powers of the world. You don't have to worry about being invaded. But that doesn't mean that things in Iceland are always perfect, right? I'm sure they have a little bit of turmoil here and there. They might have, I don't know. know, I don't follow the the politics of Iceland. Um, But, you know, I'm sure they have some turmoil. But they're essentially at peace because they're in this alliance. And they needn't worry. Guys, you and I are like Iceland. We're in alliance with Jesus. He's conquered sin and death. We're protected. We're safe. Now, there might be turmoil here and there, but fundamentally, in the most important way, we are at peace with God. We are safe. And there's nothing to worry about, ultimately. And that puts everything in perspective. And that's what Paul's doing here in the beginning parts of of Ephesians. And so the first part of practicing peace is orienting ourselves to God and what he's done for us and who he is and living in that and resting in that. If you want to experience peace and practice peace, you need to start by doing it, by remembering God. And really, that's what worship is. We focus on him. We enjoy him. We make what he, who he is and what he's done the thing we think about. And so we practice peace by worshiping God. Next, we practice peace through walking together. And that's what Paul is going to do in in this letter, talk about how this impacts us. One of the issues that he had in the church, that the Ephesian church had, was that they had two groups of people that had traditionally been enemies. Uh, They had a long history, actually, of strife. And yet they had come together in the church. And so there there were concerns about how they would do. And these two groups of people were the Jews and the Gentiles. In the early church, this was a big issue. I trust someday it will be a big issue again, as God would bring in as uh, more and more Jews to faith in Christ. But it was a big issue in the early church. And Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians, actually makes connections between the peace that God has established in Christ and the peace that they're to live out as Jews and Gentiles. So he says in chapter 2, verse 11, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Then verse 22, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is hugely important for them in their day to recognize that, that the work of Christ, the work of God bringing us peace, also brings us peace with other believers. And in this case, it was people from backgrounds that would have been, at war with each other otherwise now you might think well yeah but we don't, we don't have that really you know none of us here are like you know from those sort of diverse backgrounds even if uh, some of us are jewish and gentile but it just uh, we don't have we don't feel like this but you know it doesn't have to be jew or gentile uh, the reality is that humans are different from each other uh, no two humans are alike even identical twins are not alike and the more humans you're around the more differences there are right and so there's plenty of reasons for, for enmity and disagreement, and we tend to really only like those that are l- most like us, right? I mean, just naturally admit it, right? I mean, that's, that's how we are. Um, and, and so there are, are all sorts of categories where we can differ with each other, just personalities. Um, probably one of the most immediate struggles we can have is just differences in personalities. Some people are laid back. Some people are very, you know, it's, it's by the time. Some, some people... Uh, are, you know, remember all the details. Some people forget details, like me. Um, you know, there's different personalities and we can have strife over that. There's, we're made male and female. There's differences built there and I know they vary within each gender but, but, uh, but the two genders, the, but, it, but there are differences there. There's preferences. We all have different preferences. We all have different family backgrounds. We have different culture. We may speak different languages different ethnicities, different skin tones. All, all shades of brown, by the way. I always tell my kids that and they get tired of me saying it. There's no white or black people. Everybody's uh, some shade of brown, either dark brown or very light brown. But we have different skin tones and we segregate by skin tones. It makes no sense. Social and economic differences as well. We have all these things that, we, that can drive us apart. And so we need this truth. We need this peace that comes to us through, through Jesus. And so let me just tell you how it functions, why it works, why, why the peace that God has brought to us in the gospel changes how we relate to each other and our differences and where we might have strife otherwise. Well, first, if God has so loved us and forgiven us for our sins, then how can we hold anything against others? How can we not love them as well? That's one of the, the ways that this functions, that the goodness of God in the gospel and what he's brought to us in terms of peace, how it changes us. So if we've been forgiven and if we know the long list that is wiped out by the blood of Christ and that God loves us and has accepted us, how can we not turn around and forgive others? How can we not turn around and even love others, especially those that belong to the Lord? We know the Lord loves them with the everlasting love, so we're to love them as precious ones in really all humanity. It's Precious to God, made in his image. So, Paul says in chapter 4, verse 32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? As God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And he's going to go on to talk about what that love looks like. So, do you see the connection there? Because he's forgiven you, because he loves you. Now you forgive others. You be patient with them, tender with them, kind to them, and loving. We're to love one another. So that's the first connection in practicing peace together. Second, we are brought near to God. um, And and in being brought near to God, our union with Christ is a common union. So the idea is that... um, here's Jesus, here's someone over there, someone over here, they're brought to Jesus, they're brought close to Jesus, and, and belonging to Jesus now they are near spiritually. There's a union with Christ, and in Christ we share many, many things together. We have many things in common as believers. Though we might be different in other ways, we have much in common. So we share first off the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection together. We, we are we have the same bank account in a sense. We share this bank account that's an infinite bank account. That's Jesus and his forgiveness. We share that together. We share in the Holy Spirit. God, this Holy Spirit, lives in us and loves, by the way, to show himself when we're gathered together. One of the most important ways that God, this Holy Spirit, manifests is the gathering of God's people together and them loving each other and worshiping together and that's a powerful testimony. Um, Again and again, I, I hear about people who encounter God as they come to worship in a healthy church. They see God and, and experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I knew one woman who, who uh, was in the Alpha program investigating Christianity, visited church one of her first times, and she was a very stoic uh, CEO type, and she had to run out because she started crying in worship because God visited her as God's people were together, gathered uh, in his presence. So we share the Holy Spirit together. We share this, the common love of the Father for us, just in the Trinity we share this, and there's many more things. And so, so Paul says in Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And he's going to go on to say there's one faith, there's one baptism. We share this one faith together. And so we're to be eager Maintain unity and maintain peace because of this. Thirdly, and related to this, this is an important one too. In Christ, through the Bible, we come to understand how diversity works around unity. And this is is an important truth we see in Scripture. It's part of how God's created things. He's made his world diverse. There are different qualities and quantities of things. And with people, it's this way. People have different personalities. They have different ethnic backgrounds. They have different cultural backgrounds. They have different skin types, different hair types. All this diversity is from God. It's how he's made things, but it's made to live around unity. Ultimately, it's all to be around God. And in the church, we're, we're unified in Christ. We're called together. And we're to bring our diversity together and all these different orientations to be united. And when that happens... It creates a body. And so Paul uses the analogy of, of the body in Ephesians and in 1 Corinthians 12. And a body is a diverse thing. Anybody's body has all different components. Fingers are, are not the same as ears or whatever. They're all different. Yet together with all these different parts doing their work, there's function. There's maturity. And so he says in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry. So there's diverse leaders coming together to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the goal in bringing diversity together in Jesus and all these gifts, all these different people united around Jesus together is they would work together and they would create something that looks like Jesus in the maturity of Christ. It's astounding. And then he says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So diversity is united around Jesus and plugged in together, using gifts all together, doing the work together to care for each other, to build each other up, to reach out to other people to share the good news of Jesus, so that we might be mature and and at peace. It's a picture of peace and wholeness and harmony, isn't it? And Paul contrasts that with being infants blown and tossed by the waves. That's turmoil. That's the opposite of peace. So the alternative, if you don't exercise unity when diversity coming together to be part of a body, is you're going to be an infant blown and tossed by the waves. You're not going to experience peace. And so God's design in the church is that it be a place of peace in these ways. And then he's going to go on in this letter to call them to practice peace together in light of all these things. And he's actually going to give specific ways to, to do that. There are 90 different specific commands in Ephesians. We talked about this before. God's commands are good. They're they're not meant to be burdensome. They're only burdensome if you don't understand that they're first meant to to drive you to your need for Jesus. The first thing they do is you you realize, wow, I'm supposed to love that person who I don't like and I can't do it on my own. Everything in me doesn't want to do it. Help me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood to pay for that sin. Forgive me and help me to forgive them. I need your help. That's the first thing the the word of God does, the law of God, the command. It's a good thing to be confronted in that way. But then when you start to depend on Jesus, you start to say, wow, actually it's a pretty cool thing to love this person and to see that. I remember as a young believer when I started uh, um, building friendships with people that before I honestly would have beaten up um, or they would have beaten me up. I remember just one point. This one brother, I won't mention his name, and just thinking, he's he's such a nerd. Um, and in, in high school, I would have picked on him, but he's my dear brother who I deeply respected. And I realized that's the Lord at work. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, and so the commands of God are good. They call us to this obedience to love each other and respect each other. But we need Him. We need His grace. They they confront us and then they guide us. And so there's ninety commands, a thousand and fifty commands in the New Testament. God does not. Uh, he's not squeamish about commands. Commands are good. They're to be good for his people because they're not burdensome in Christ, but they're, they're a pathway to peace. So uh, you can go through Ephesians and look at the 90. He says things like in verse 25 of chapter 4, therefore having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So we're to speak truthfulness to each other, both in the truth of the gospel, but in honesty in our lives. Verse 29, let no one corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up. So we're to Speak in a way that builds others up, never to tear them down. Um, Verse 18 of chapter 5, Do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Instead, we have a way better alternative in the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a lifestyle we're called to. And then he says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because now you belong to Jesus, he's the king. And so you worship him by submitting to others in their different roles appropriately. And so what he's going to do in the remainder of the book is talk about those roles and how we submit to one another, how we lay our lives down. Husbands laying their lives down to serve their wives, wives laying their lives down to support their husbands, and so forth and so on. They're all glorious commands, and they're all part of practicing peace. So this is God's plan for his utopia or at least the closest thing you can ever experience in this world for the local church as we live in light of this good news and as we love one another, as we practice peace together. This isn't hypothetical. Paul's not like writing this letter thinking, hey, this is kind of cool stuff. Maybe someday the church will do it. I don't really, you know, I'm not really serious. I don't really mean you. You know, I'm I'm just a little excited about spiritual things. That's all. That's why I wrote this. No. He's fully expecting them to carry it out. And he's fully experiencing this to happen. His, his call to maturity in chapter 4, that the body would be uh, building each other up to the fullness of Christ, there's an aspect of that, of course, that we don't know until we finally go with the Lord. But I don't think that's what he means there. He means maturity. He means that, that people will be able to look at your church and say, You know what? I see Jesus there. I do see Jesus. Yeah, they're not perfect. That won't happen until he returns. But I see the life of God. I see the truth of Christ. I see peace. I see people who are diverse living together in love and peace. I see it there. This isn't hypothetical. This is to be real. And the local church is to be like this. And I want you to hear that. I want you to hear it for our church. I want you to hear it for if you're part of another church or have been part of another church. I want you to hear what God's Word says. This is not hypothetical. And we have a tendency I think to give up on the church. Because we struggle and churches can be unhealthy and we tend to think, well, you know, yeah, I'll give a little bit of an effort. That's what happens, right? You try something too many times and fail too many times, you stop giving much of an effort. And you get stuck in this place, right? You get stuck in this place of like, I know I should be doing more, but I really don't believe it. It's worth the time. And you live in that tension. That's a terrible place to be, a terrible place to live. God has something much better for you. He has Ephesians for you. He has his promises, his call. He has his plans to work this out, to make churches that are relatively healthy, that are mature, that show Jesus, that places of peace are places that you like to go to and be a part of, that you are proud of in the best sense of the word. That's the expectation here, and I want us to hear that. And I've just been thinking about this a lot lately. I was driving uh, up 125 towards the 495 extension, and I saw the, the site work on the new Dunkin' Donuts, and this isn't to pick on Dunkin' Donuts, by the way. Um, I like Dunkin' Donuts. I like coffee. Coffee's a good thing. Uh, but they were building this site, and I was aware a little bit of the site. I, I had a friend who had communicated interest in it for a church or something, and, and um, I was aware of, of the price for it, and, and I thought, wow, they're putting a Dunkin' Donuts in there, and that's okay. Um, and, I, and I started to think, you know, well, what what, you know, what would be the price for that site? They have to buy the site, then you have to develop. So it's anywhere, I'm just, some of you guys know better, but anywhere, I'd just say between $1 and $10 million, That that range, okay, to do that Dunkin' Donuts. To, and, and, and by the way, right, there's Dunkin' Donuts everywhere in, in New England, so the, these sorts of things are being done everywhere. So you start adding that up, and then you start adding up other commercial building, and again, nothing wrong with commercial building, and it's like, ends up in the billions, if not, I mean, the whole country's probably the trillions. There's a lot of money put into places like commercial places. Where am I going with this? Well, I just started to think about like, well, not that there's anything wrong with that, but what about the church? I don't see a whole lot of building going on for churches. And 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 I mean, hear, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'll, I'll qualify this as I go. But I, you know, I just don't see a whole lot of building going on. They're not, you know, you don't see like, wow, a new church, wow, and 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 um, we don't spend that much on it. It's and I just thought it was just thought I had, and it's like, well, wow, that's just a picture of the, the culture. And again, I'm not saying we need to regain the culture, but we just we don't build cathedrals anymore, do we? Uh, there was a time when the city, the, the the pride of the city was the church and the cathedral, and they would put a lot of money into the cathedral. And and I think, I mean, I think there was a parts of it that weren't good, um, extravagant. I think there's an economy we're called to as Christians, and there's so many good causes to give our money to. So I don't, I would never want to build cathedrals, but but we don't do anything like that. Um, so I have a picture actually, Dan, you can put up that picture. Just, um, that's the Notre Dame Cathedral with the Dunkin' Donuts inserted in the lower right. <laughs> that's Photoshop, just so you know. There's no, if you go to see the no- Notre Dame, there won't be a Dunkin' Donuts there. <laughs> Again, nothing wrong with Dunkin' Donuts. I don't mean to pick on them. If you own a Dunkin' Donuts, I'm sorry. I don't mean to pick on you. It's a good thing. But just uh, our culture has shifted. And and so where am I going with this? Well, I think we're not called to build cathedrals. We're not called to bankrupt ourselves or spend our money inappropriately. There's priorities, biblical priorities we're called to. So don't hear what I'm not saying and all that. Um, But do hear what I am saying. And do hear what Ephesians says. The most important building you can build is the local church. The most important and lasting thing that you can build is the local church. The, the thing that's worth most your efforts is the local church. Now, by the way, when I say local church, I don't mean the building. The building's part of it. This is our home, though, right? This is our church home, the building is. And it's important. It has its place. But the church is so much more than the building. It's, it's the people of God. And under that is, is, of course, families and relationships and all that. So, don't, so it's not one versus the other. It all goes together, and Ephesians talks about that. It, it is all knit together. But as a whole, it makes the local church up. And there's a priority that we ought to have. And it's not just a priority like mentally I know I ought to prioritize my local church. There should be a heart uh, enthusiasm for it when we understand what God's saying in the book of Ephesians. Think how much those shakers devoted to do their little utopia. It failed. Uh, most, mostly because there's only two of them left. Two shakers left. Uh, they didn't marry so it's kind of hard to keep on going uh, unless you recruit a lot. Uh, so, but they gave everything for that. And yet the Bible guides us into something that is truly of God and truly worthwhile and truly is an opportunity to shine to the world and for ourselves the peace of God, the local church. So I just encourage you to think about it. Now, I think we as a church are exceptional in many ways. As I view the landscape, I'm very grateful for this church and the hearts of you, so don't hear this as a rebuke. But also, even as I think about that and I think about my own heart, I'm not sure if I'm getting this at the level I ought. I just challenge you to think, God, what does it look like to be devoted to what you are most devoted to in this time? Mm. That's that's what I think Ephesians calls us to. And then finally, we practice peace through our witness. We can't keep this stuff inside. We've got to send it out. When we get the goodness of God in Christ for us, we want others to know about it. We want them to know the peace of God. We live in a world without peace. People are struggling to find peace somehow, to give to get some little glimpse or experience of peace amidst, amidst much tumult. The world needs this peace that we have in Christ, so we are to share it, we're to give it away. It's the nature of God himself. He's the God who pursues others to bring them peace. And so Ephesians talks about that. It talks about that probably most specifically in chapter 6. Paul is talking about the armor of God. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, And and then verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So he's using this metaphor of of dealing with a world that is often lacking peace, where there's enemies who oppose us, want to disrupt our peace as a church and in uh, in Christ. And so the armor of God is a picture of all these things that God gives us that that strengthen us to resist that and to walk with him. But it's important that one of the items is is uh, these shoes, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So the shoes you're supposed to wear are connected to this readiness given by the gospel of peace, by the way, right? And what I'm saying, and what I'll show us, is that this is exporting the peace you have to others. Being ready, putting shoes on, in a sense, metaphorically. Being ready to bring the good news to others to tell others about this peace that you have in Christ. Now, how do I know that? Uh, it's not immediately clear in, in Ephesians 6, so we can go to uh, its reference. It's drawn from Isaiah 52. So if you can put up 50, Isaiah fifty-two seven, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So the context in Isaiah where Paul's drawing from is that somebody is... Their feet are beautiful. Why? Because they're bringing to that town that's known Tumult news of salvation, news of peace, news of rescue, news of God coming in and rescuing them and reigning over them and bringing His peace where they knew Tumult and chaos before. Now the good news, the feet have come and said, God reigns. He's rescued us. He's for us. Be at peace. And so that's why I think it's connected also though in in Colossians chapter 4 Colossians is a very parallel letter to Ephesians. You can go through it and see it's it's very parallel. And in chapter 4 of Colossians is almost almost exactly parallel, actually, with uh, Ephesians 6. And so in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about the armor. He talks about the shoes. And then he says he asked them to pray for him to have uh, opportunity to share the good news. So he's talking about his role as an apostle to bring the good news. And then he's saying, pray for me. So then pa- the parallel uh, letter and to took Church in Colossae says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which, uh, which is how I ought to speak. So he's saying almost the exact same thing he says in chapter 6. And then he says this, though. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Those would be those outside who don't yet know Christ, outside the church. Making the best use of the time." Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. So the same context, in Ephesians it's about the shoes. Here it's directly, he's just, there's no metaphor. He's saying, be ready to tell others. Walk in wisdom. Think of, of how to live wisely, that they need Jesus and you are there in their lives so that you can love them in, in Christ's name and bring them the truth. Make the best use of your time. In your relationships, make the best use of those relationships. Be genuine, be real, but know that in the context of that relationship, the very best way to be a friend and a neighbor is to share Jesus with them. And so think about how to do that. Let your speech always be gracious. Be gracious in your speech. You're, you have been forgiven much, you're loved much, you can turn and be gracious to others, even when they're ungracious. Season with salt, so, the, so it isn't just that you're a pushover, there's actually things you bring that, that, that season the conversation, that bring truth that you may know how to answer each person. So we are to practice peace by spreading that peace, by having these shoes, these gospel shoes, being ready to share that with others. We're to act and live as ambassadors, good ambassadors, not bad ones. Um, There are some ambassadors that go and live in a foreign country and and they get kicked out because of their behavior. It happens all the time. Even criminal behavior. I was reading about some of the things that go on, reckless driving, tax evasion, assaulting police officers, beating household help, Uh, all sorts of things that go on with some foreign dignitaries. And I'm sure there's complaints against U.S. diplomats as well. We're not to be like that. We're to be ambassadors that represent Jesus. And you know what? One of the best and simplest ways we can do that is first just to pray for those around us and then invite them. Sometimes uh, they're not going to really see until they see the body. Because remember chapter 4, when we're together and we're mature, who do we look like? Jesus. People come in and see all these people and think, wow, what's going on here? And everyone I meet here is kind, and they actually do want to talk to me. Uh, and they're, all, they're, they're all, you know, real. They're not phony. Um, it's going to have an impact. So we just simply invite people. Do you know that they've done surveys among the, the basically the most unchurched people? About half of them have said that, uh, that they would come to church if invited by a friend. Half of them. Like, that's the extreme. The people that are like, I've never been to church. I never want to go. If a friend invited me, I, I, I would, half of them said, yeah, I, I'd go. Um, so inviting is one of the most significant things we can do. I also just want to encourage you to invite, pray for and invite a friend to Alpha. So Alpha is a program we're starting January 10th, uh, and it's uh, very much in line with what we're talking about in Scripture. It's a wonderful uh, opportunity just to build friendships. We have a meal together. It's, it's a relaxed environment. People are allowed to ask any question they want or say nothing uh, the truth of Christ is, is presented, uh, and, and God has used Alpha. And so I just want to encourage you to, to pray, uh, to invite. Um, and actually, I want to, if we can, Dan, can we roll that clip just about inviting people to Alpha? just want to encourage you to, um, to be praying. We have invitations for Alpha. Um, just pray with and, and invite someone. Uh, and offer to come with them, by the way. We'd love to have you do that. And if you've never attended Alpha, you are very welcome to come. Uh, you may already be a believer. We'd love to have you in the course if you've never been there. Uh, we're actually going to have a meeting afterwards, a brief meeting, uh, after church today. Um, probably right here, if you want to know more about it. Uh, if the band could come up as we close, I just want to uh, encourage you To take a moment and to pray and ask the Lord to speak to you, consider what we've been looking at in Ephesians, this whole wonderful call to practice peace, practice it in sharing it with others, um, practice it in loving one another, practice it by focusing on the Lord. So um, let's just take a minute to do that and then Jeff will come up and transition us.